Thanks for listening to the Three Strands podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit us at threestrands.church. If you were here last week, Easter, we started a brand new series called Freeze. (laughs) If you're watching this on your cell phone, you say freeze, everybody freezes. Freeze. And it's all about some times in Jesus' life when something happened that was so important, such a big deal to him, they literally stopped right dead in his tracks, either changed his direction or did something completely different than he was doing. It was so vital, so important to him that he froze and took notice. And if you were here last week, I shared with you, if we will do the exact same thing Jesus did, then we'll see the exact same things Jesus saw. So when these things come up in our our life, and they all come up in our life too, if we'll freeze and do exactly what Jesus did in these moments, we'll get to experience what he got to experience. He was always busy. But he was never in a hurry, always made time to stop when these three things came up. And they gave his life extra power. They changed the world around him for the better, and they helped the people closest to him to grow in their faith. And I challenged you guys last week, wouldn't that be a great legacy to leave behind? That you walk through life with extra strength, you change the world around you for the better, and the people closest to you, you were able to help them stretch and grow their faith. Wouldn't that be like a great legacy to leave behind? So if you were here last week, we hit the first one and we saw how to get some extra strength, extra power in our life. And I hope if you weren't here, you'll go back and listen to that one online. But today I want to hit you with the second one, the second reason to freeze. Because if we do this same thing and we look and see what Jesus did in this moment, and we copycat him, we'll get the same benefit. So here it is, the the second reason to kind of freeze, stay where you're at and change your direction, do something completely different when someone needs your help. All right, now last week I said the first reason Jesus froze, these aren't in chronological order, but the first reason Jesus froze was that he was overwhelmed or crushed with grief, right? You guys remember that if you were here? So When you're crushed with grief, freeze. And I said last week, that one seems kind of obvious because whenever somebody's overwhelmed with grief, they often tend to shut it down, isolate, hibernate, and hide in their house, right? And binge eat or binge watch something and not come out for a long time. And they just want to be left alone. So that one, you had to kind of stick with us for a little bit because I said it's not just the freezing, it's also the then doing the opposite that Jesus did, doing the thing, the different direction he took. And so last week, that was all about praying, but not just praying, but praying the way Jesus prayed. And so uh, this week's a little odd, too, because you hear this one, you think, freeze, kind of stop what you're doing and take notice when someone needs your help. And when I hear that, I think to myself, well, I mean, everyone needs my help. I don't know if you feel like that, or it feels like at different times, everybody in my life needs my help. And so maybe you kind of feel like that, and you think, like, well, obviously, freeze and do something different. I'm already helping everyone I could possibly help. I can't help anyone else and I can't help anyone I'm helping now any more than I'm already helping them. I'm tapped out, I'm busy, and I got no more space to help anyone else. All right, so the same thing's true this week. Stick with me. 
let's not just sum it up in just that one phrase, but let's actually look and see when somebody else needed Jesus' help and he decided to stop right where he's at, what did he do? Like, how did he make space for that? How did he make time for that? And so I want to kind of share that with you this week. But I said this, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, it must have been last week. I said I might bring you this picture, but I found a picture from last weekend of some guys that look like they need a lot of help. Okay, this is it. It'll be on the screen. You got it? Now, don't they look like some guys that need a lot of help? Right? I mean, they need a lot of help. Physically, mentally, emotionally, right? But, and maybe you don't recognize that picture. Maybe you're used to seeing that picture with its theme music over it. Like, have you ever seen that picture like this? Isn't that, isn't that just what those guys look like? Like you'd see them on a Farmers Only ad, right? Yeah, that's right. So nobody around here thinks that because they're like, they look just like me. I'm like, that's, like <laughs> that's the look. That's the look here in southeast Kentucky, right? You got that look. I hope he was out of place because he didn't have his sunglasses on. But anyhow, so I want to talk with you today about when someone needs your help, okay? Someone needs your help. And Jesus gives us a perfect example of this. I want to set the scene for you. We're going to be in Mark chapter 5. If you want to follow along in a Bible, the verses will be on the screen. You can follow along that way too. But let me set the scene for you, kind of back up uh, in the story to Mark chapter 4. In Mark chapter 4, you find Jesus. Now we're, we're like over two years earlier in Jesus' life than we were last week, okay? So like I said, we're not going in order from age or time, but so back up to near the beginning, back near the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he's probably 30, 31 years old. And in Mark chapter 4, Jesus is doing all this teaching, okay, to all these different people, teaching unlike they had ever heard before. But then you get to the end of Mark chapter 4, and the last piece of Mark chapter 4, Jesus kind of transitions away from teaching a bunch of things to doing a bunch of things. He's going to start to perform all these miracles, all these feats of power, and people are going to be blown away and amazed by it. So you get to the end of Mark chapter 4, and Jesus is on the Sea of Galilee with his closest followers, some of whom were professional fishermen. And a storm rises up on the Sea of Galilee, and they're all terrified that they're about to die. That's how bad the storm is. Jesus is sleeping in the boat. They wake him up and with a single command, Jesus calms the storm. He gets all the waves to stop. The wind ceases. And his disciples, his closest followers, are still terrified. Because now they're terrified how powerful he is. Right? And then you get to the beginning of Mark chapter 5, and they've reached the Gentile side of the Sea of Galilee. The eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. And they get out of the boat and they come across this man who's possessed by demons. doesn't say really how many demons, but maybe up to a thousand or two thousand demons possessing this one man. And Jesus confronts these demons and he casts those demons out of this man into these pigs and the pigs run over the side of a cliff and die. And Jesus frees this man from his prison of demon possession. The people who live in that region, they don't appreciate it because they might have been pig farmers, I don't know. But all the pigs just died. And so they're angry at Jesus and they ask him to leave. They don't want him around anymore. He gets back in the boat with his disciples and they 
sailed back across the Sea of Galilee to the western side, the Israel, Israel side of the Sea of Galilee, and they get out of the boat, and that's the scene we're going to look at today. When he gets out of the boat, he's instantly surrounded by this huge crowd of people, probably thousands of people. Jesus' fame had kind of become uh, spread throughout the whole countryside at that point for all the powerful things he could do. And in this story we're going to look at today, Jesus actually does two more miracles. He raises a girl from the dead, and he cures a disease that a lady had for 12 years. So in this short span from the end of Mark chapter 4 to the end of Mark chapter 5, Jesus shows his power over creation, nature, weather patterns. And then you get to Mark chapter 5 and he shows his power over demons, over disease, and over death. He has unlimited power. And it gets talked about all the time in churches, in conversations, in prayers. But now Jesus is going to show the crowd and all those who have ears to hear something equally as amazing as his unlimited power. It made me think this week, of at the beginning of this year, I'd made a decision to stop watching news. Now, I don't want you to take this the wrong way. I'm not saying that it's sin to watch news. I'm not saying that you should make the same decision I made. I'm just simply saying for me, for my spiritual health, I made a decision I was going to stop watching news. I found myself getting angrier and angrier at the world, feeling like more and more people were stupid and dumb, and that's already a struggle for me, okay? So, and I found every time I'd watch the news, I would walk away just angrier at life and angrier at the world. I would even come to church and be angrier at some of you. Don't even have anything to do with you, but somehow it's like making me angrier as if I was the only one I could get along with. <laughs> That's a bad spot to be in. When you're the only person you can get along with, it's not a good world. And so I decided to cut that off, and it really has helped me, like, over the last few months. I feel a little, like, lighter, a little happier. I'm a little bit more ignorant to what's going on in the world. That's a good thing most of the time. I'm not on social media. I don't know what people are saying on Facebook. I don't see anything anybody's posted on Instagram or Snapchat or any of that stuff. I don't know what's going on in the world. So really, I'm cut off. If, like, the Russians invade, I won't even know. Like, I won't even know what happened. So somebody will have to let me know if something really big happens. But I found myself kind of like getting to this spot. And, and, and in my life, like compassion has always been a struggle for me. Maybe you're like that. Maybe not. I don't know. But it was getting worse and worse. And what I don't want to be is a grumpy old man. You, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like grumpy old men. And you're always saying like, how do grumpy old men become grumpy old men? This is how it happens. Ready? They slowly, over the years, start to get angry at more and more people. And if anybody doesn't see things their way, well, then they're an idiot. And if everybody doesn't live to make their life better, well, then they're stupid. And you even find yourself over and over saying things like, those people are so stupid, or he's such an idiot. Bunch of idiots. And you feel yourself saying those things over and over and over again. You are on the verge 
of becoming a grumpy old man, even if you're a woman. <laughs> like you, you could be grumpy even if you're a woman, so you could too be on the verge of becoming a grumpy old man, right? And I don't want to be like that because when I look at Jesus' life, he wasn't like that. And so Jesus is going to put on display in these two miracles he's going to do, in this short story we're going to look at, something equally as impressive as his unlimited power, he's going to show us his unlimited pity. And that sounds like a bad thing. And you might think, well, I don't want somebody's pity. But I want you to know today that you definitely do. In fact, in the Old Testament, uh, the songwriter in Psalm chapter 103, verses 13 and 14, says that God looks on us with pity like a father looks at their child. He recognizes that we are weak and frail. Think about how you would look at one of your kids if they were suffering. You'd hurt. I don't know if you can even understand this until you're a parent, really, how, how deep that suffering or that pain would translate to you. But you would rather hurt yourself than see one of your kids or grandkids hurt. That's the kind of pity that Jesus has for us. That word pity in the Bible, it's just a, a synonym, the same basic word in some translations translated as this other word, compassion. This deep love inside of Jesus that he has for us when he sees us struggling or suffering, he feels something inside. It's pity. It's compassion. And it's unlimited. And while his power gets talked about all the time, and people stand in awe of how amazing his power was, and people pray day after day that Jesus would give them more power, rarely do we talk about his unlimited pity. Or ask him for the same kind of pity he had. So I want to look at this story. It's so important because his pity for us, his compassion for people, is what drives him to act, to feel our pain deeply. It's what causes him to freeze and help someone who needs help. And if we don't have that kind of compassion or that kind of pity, we're going to slowly stop helping more and more people until eventually the only person we help is ourself. So let me read you the beginning of the story. It's in Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 21. And remember I said they're getting out of the boat. They're about to get back out of this boat on the Israel side of the Sea of Galilee. So here's what it says. Jesus got into the boat again, went back to the other side of the lake, where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Jesus went with him. And all the people followed, crowding around him. All right, can you see this scene in your head? So in this story, Jesus is going to encounter three different types of people. Now the first paragraph I read you 
reveals the first two types of people he's going to encounter. They're kind of intermingled or interwoven in this first paragraph. So I wanted to read you the whole paragraph at, at once. But I want to show you all three types of these people, show you how Jesus interacted with them, and then challenge us at the end to have the same kind of pity or compassion that he had for these groups of people, to, to freeze right where we're at each day and help the people that need help the same way Jesus did. So here's the first type of person he runs into, the eager crowd, the eager crowd. Now make no mistake about it, they were eager to see Jesus, okay? He was famous at this point. And everybody wanted to see the next trick. Now, the people across the sea on the other side where Jesus had cast the demons out, the region of the Gerasenes, or however you want to say that, I don't know, Gerasenes or something like that, they didn't want to see Jesus. They wanted him to leave. But when he got back to the Jewish people, they wanted to see him because they were all about, show me a sign, show me a trick, do another miracle, and I'll believe. And so Jesus shows up on the shore, and this eager crowd surrounds them. Now, I'm not saying that the crowd was evil. The Bible doesn't say. We don't know the makeup of the crowd. We don't know how many of them were there just to see a trick, how many of them were there to hear Jesus teach, how many of them were there because they really needed help, and how many of them were there because they were trying to catch Jesus in a got you moment. The Bible doesn't say. All I know is they surround Jesus probably thousands of people, Jesus starts teaching them like he would often do. He doesn't ignore them. He doesn't belittle them. He doesn't call out the ones who don't seem to be there for the right reasons. He just starts teaching them, and then in walks this guy and interrupts it all. And I thought, I wonder what I would be like if somebody walked in here and just interrupted what we were doing. I wouldn't want to help him. We'd probably have some people escort him out. Quit making a scene. We'll help you later. Is this a real emergency? Right? But Jesus reacted different. He shows us something in this story, and then he shows it many times throughout the rest of his life in the things he did and the things he taught. And here's what he teaches us about this eager crowd. You ready? That he's always willing to leave the many to help the one. He's always willing to leave the many to help the one. That a, that a good shepherd will always leave the 99 sheep to find the one lost sheep. And so he's talking to this eager crowd, but he lets this one desperate man interrupt him. He stops everything, and you're going to see in just a minute he leaves with this guy. The second character or second type of person that Jesus has to encounter in this story. And I called him the pleading father. So he comes to this eager crowd and then this guy interrupts him, Jairus. Jairus comes up to him, falls down on his knees and he begs him to come back to his house and heal his daughter who's sick and is about to die. <laughs> in walks Jairus as if nobody else in the crowd matters. I need help and I need it desperately, but he illustrates faith that he knows Jesus can do this thing. Why does Jesus 
decide to help Jairus instead of continuing to teach the crowd? I mean, doesn't this crowd need taught? Don't they need more truth? Don't they need more grace? But he's going to stop it all to go help this one man whose daughter is sick. Jesus could have just snapped his fingers where he was at and healed Jairus' daughter. He could have just spoke a word from a distance and made sure she didn't die. He could have waited till she died, which is what happened, simply had a thought and brought her back from the dead without even breaking a pause in his sermon or his teaching. But he stops everything and decides to go with Jairus to his house to then raise his daughter from the dead. Why would he do that? And I noticed something about Jesus in his life. And this is hard for us. But Jesus largely ignores people who aren't desperate for his help. He doesn't mean to them. He doesn't talk bad about them. He doesn't turn his head the other way and put his nose in the air when he walks by him. He just largely isn't very concerned about people who aren't desperate for his help. And this is something that I've had to learn as a pastor. And if you're a married couple in here and you've sat and done any kind of counseling with us, or if you're struggling with an addiction and you've sat and talked with me one-on-one, you've probably heard me say this before, but I will never be as desperate for your help as you are. Like, I'm not going to be more desperate for God to save your marriage or overcome your addiction than you are. I'm not going to invest more into you than you're willing to invest into you. Jesus largely ignores people who aren't desperate for his help. I mean, how hard would it be for the preacher to walk out of the church service to help one person? That's really what Jesus did. But see, he knew something valuable that we have to learn if we're going to take this second one on. If we're going to tackle this second piece of the freeze series. If we're going to stop and freeze where we're at and help somebody who needs help. He knew something valuable that we really struggle with. Here's what he knew. You ready? He knew that there's a difference between someone who's in need and someone who's needy. And the reason that that's so hard for us is because a lot of times the people who are really in need are people we don't really like. And the people who are really needy are the people we love the most. But Jesus was willing to walk away from the people who are needy to help the people who are in need. And it made me think of this time where Jesus was sitting around talking to a bunch of his closest followers, people who were doing God's will and wanted to know more about Jesus. And somebody comes to him and says, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside and they want to talk to you. And Jesus said, who is my mother and my brothers? Isn't it the very people sitting around me right now that are interested in doing what God wants them to do? And he didn't go out and talk to them. That preacher would probably get fired today. You with me? That, that family member would be talked about all over Facebook like they're the devil. You won't even talk to your mom or your brothers. You're putting something else above them. 
At some point, you've got to recognize who are the people in my life who need help and who are the people in my life who are just needy. Because the needy people are going to suck life out of you so, so greatly that there will be nothing left to help the people who really need help. That's hard. But even Jesus said, unless it looks like you hate the rest of your family, even your own life, compared to how much you love me, you're not worthy to be my disciple. Do you see what he understood? That I'm going to be about helping the people who need help not being available for all the ones who are needy and just want to see my next trick. They just want to talk ad nauseum about some issue they've got with the Bible, some question they've got, and they won't ever take any advice. They won't ever make any changes in their life. They just want to continue to suck the life out of you day after day. What's interesting is when Jesus goes with Jairus to his house, you notice that the crowd followed him. Did you see that? That the crowd's going to go with him, smothering him. It said that Jesus went with Jairus and all the people followed, crowding around him. You know why? Because that's what needy people do. They crowd you. They surround you. They drain energy out of your life. Sounds harsh, doesn't it? Yet Jesus seemed to walk away from crowds over and over again to help one individual person. Now in walks the third person that Jesus has to encounter in this story. It starts in verse 25. So Jesus is walking to Jairus' house. The whole crowd's following him. It's interesting and worth noting that at one point, Jesus tells the whole crowd, stay here, you're not coming with me any further. And he goes into Jairus' house and raises this girl from the dead without the crowd being able to see it. They also don't see the next miracle. He doesn't allow them to see either miracle. They hear about both of them, but they don't get to see either one of them. And in verse 25, it says, a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors. And over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had actually gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus. She didn't know him, but she had heard about him. So she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. And immediately, the bleeding stopped. And she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. So Jesus encounters the eager crowd. He encounters the pleading father. And here he encounters the suffering woman. Twelve years she's been hemorrhaging. Can you imagine? She's been to every doctor she can get to. Spent every dime she's got. And nothing works. In fact, it makes her worse. Some of you probably been in that spot. You go to the doctor hoping to get better. You come back worse than when you went. But for 12 years. And you got this interesting image of Jesus with Jairus. And then this suffering woman in the scene now at the same time. A, a pleading father and a suffering woman. 
one who was a ruler in the synagogue, and one who wouldn't even have been allowed in the synagogue because she had been considered unclean. One with a 12-year-old daughter who was dying, and one with a 12-year-old disease that wouldn't go away. And they both come to Jesus with faith, believing that he and only he can fix and solve their problem, that only he can help them. They both approach him, they both have faith, and they're both desperate for help. They seem like they have similar stories, even though their circumstances are different. And I left this story thinking to myself, why is this even in there? The story about Jairus could have been enough by itself. Why even include the story about this woman? We can see your pity and compassion, Lord, just in the story about Jairus. That you would leave the crowd and go to his house to heal his daughter. Why even add her in? And I want to read it to you. It's in the next couple of verses, starting in verse 30. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. Wouldn't that be cool to know like when power has gone out from you? <laughs> he knew at once that healing power had gone out from him, so he turned around. He stopped dead in his tracks. He froze in the crowd, and he asked, Who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you even ask who touched me? In other words, everybody's touching you. What, what, why, what do you mean who touched you? They're all touching you. Why even stop? I don't understand. I looked at this story and think. Jesus isn't in it for the fame. He's not in it to brag or to be proud. He doesn't even let this crowd of people see the miracles. So why even stop? Why even address this woman? She wanted healing and she got it. He didn't stop to heal her. She had already been healed, right? Why even stop? And then I realized it what was different about her. She was scared. Let me read it to you, verse 32. But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, it's the only time in the Bible, it's the only time in Jesus' life it's recorded that he addresses a woman and calls her daughter. Like he wanted her to know that he had such a love for her. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Why stop? Why include her in the story? Wouldn't Jairus' story been enough when he raises his daughter from the dead? I mean, isn't it a stronger, more powerful miracle? To raise somebody from the dead than to just get rid of a disease somebody has? But Jesus sees that there's this person out there and probably in here today who's scared. God has been trying to work something in your life. Trying to heal you from something that you've been struggling with for a long time. Trying to bring you into his fold. 
and you don't understand what he's up to, but it's messing with your mind. It scares you a little bit. Frightens you. That's this woman. What just happened to me? I mean, I knew there was a God. I heard that Jesus was supposed to be his son, but like now I'm feeling something. I'm feeling it inside now. There's people that sit in our church week after week that have that feeling. They're too scared to say anything, but they're feeling it. God's up to something in their life. They don't even know what it is. Why am I even here? Why do I keep dragging myself to this church? Why do I keep listening to this? Why do I keep having these thoughts like God wants my life to be different, like God wants something better for me? Why? It's a little scary. It's overwhelming. What do I do with those feelings and those thoughts? Jesus knew there was a person like that in the crowd, different than Jairus. He had to stop. Because this type of person caused Jesus to stop everything else he was doing and hunt for her, not so he could heal her, but so he could free her from fear and shame. Did you notice that in the story, Jairus came up to Jesus from the front? This woman came up to him from behind. Did you notice that one spoke with Jesus and the other one tried her best to say nothing? So let me ask you guys this today. Are you looking for ways to help people who are suffering? Are you looking for ways to help people who are suffering and asking for help? But beyond that, Are you looking for ways to help people who are suffering and aren't asking for help? They're too afraid to ask for help. Or are you spending all of your time with the needy people who are draining all of the life out of you? Or maybe even worse, you're the needy person that's draining all the life out of you. And there's no space to help anyone else. I think of the time when Jesus was 12 years old because there's no age limit on this. And he gets separated from his parents for a couple days. They finally come back and find him teaching in the temple. Teaching at 12 years old. And they're like worried about him. Like, what's, what's going on? And he's like, don't you know, I had to help the people that need help. I had to be busy doing what my heavenly father wants me to do. It can't be about surrounding myself with all the people who are needy in my life. It can't be about making myself feel comfortable all the time. No, I've got to be laser focused on loving people like Jesus loved them with pity. When was the last time you helped anybody? When was the last time you looked around to find somebody to help who was too afraid to even ask for it? There could be people sitting around you in church every week, working beside you at the office every day, sitting beside you in class, class after class, and God's trying to bring them into the fold, and all they need is somebody with enough courage and enough awareness to look at them and say, are you ready to follow Jesus with your whole heart? He's ready to free you. Are you ready to come to church with me this Sunday? He's got a word for you. You ready to sit down let me tell you my story of how Jesus rescued me? 
Or are we going to be cowards the rest of our lives? Are we going to be consumed with the needy people around us? Busy going from crowd to crowd, doing our thing, and never helping anyone. Never having pity on anyone. Never having the compassion that Jesus had for anyone. Look back again at verse 31. His disciples say to him in verse 31, Look at this crowd pressing around you. That's you. I could say the same thing to you today. Look at the crowd in your life pressing around you, squeezing you for time, squeezing you for life energy, wanting you, demanding from you, begging you to meet their every need and to be at their every beck and call. Look at the crowd pressing around you. How can you even ask who touched you? How can you even ask who needs help? How can you even ask who needs you to stop and pay attention to them? You don't got time for that neighbor. You don't have time for that person. You don't even really like those people. Did you see what Jesus said or what he did again in verse 32? Look. But, no matter what they said, but, no matter how logical their argument was, but he kept on looking. He kept on looking around. He kept on looking to see who needed help. He kept on looking to see who was too afraid to vocalize out loud what they were internalizing inside. And if he hadn't, that woman still would have been healed. But she just wouldn't have been whole. Because what she needed was in her terror, in her confusion, in her fear, was for somebody to come along and look at her and say, you're loved, daughter. Your suffering's over. You can have peace right now. And I wonder how many people in your life need the exact same message. I talk with a lot of people who say, you know, I've never, ever led one person to faith in Jesus my whole life. And my question for them is always, how many people have you asked? Because guess what? If you never ask anybody to follow Jesus, then you're never going to lead one person to follow Jesus. <laughs> is, that, is that fair? How many people in your life need somebody to care about them and pity them the way Jesus did in this story? Let me ask it another way. I've known a lot of people who pray to have Jesus' power over demons. Jesus' power over disease. Jesus' power over death. When was the last time you prayed to have Jesus' pity for other people? I know you can't do that for everyone, but you can do it for one. Can you do for one what you wish you could do for everyone? Can you do for one what God would want you to do for everyone? Can you do it for one this week who needs help? that might not even be looking for it? An act of kindness, a word of encouragement, a challenge right to their face, an invite to something they weren't even thinking about going to? Can you freeze from your life for just a second and walk away from all the needy people to help the people who are really in need? Would our world be better off if we did? Absolutely. If we will freeze like Jesus froze, 
and do what Jesus did, you can walk out of here and make the world a better place around you. He did. You think this woman's world wasn't better off? She wasn't just healed, she was whole. And I just want to leave you today with one more verse. We'll put the words on the screen. You can read it to yourself. It's in Isaiah 58.10. It sums this idea up perfectly. Here's what it says. Help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness. And the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. Wouldn't it be great if our world was a little brighter? Wouldn't it be great if we had a weapon against a lot of the darkness out there? What if we started to pity people like Jesus does? What if we started to help the ones who need help? What if we started to look for the ones that are even too afraid to ask for it? And what if we did it all for God's glory because he just simply is challenging us to do it? Would our world be better off? Absolutely. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for our church. I pray you would give everybody in this room ears to hear today but not just to listen to the word. You would give them the courage to walk out of here and to put it into practice, to do what you did so we can see what you saw. God, would you give us pity and compassion for the people in our world? In Jesus' name I pray.